when we were standing and shaking hands and introducing ourselves and uh, a couple behind me that I got to meet that have been here for a while said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm really enjoying this, the stress that you're putting on us. <laughs> I'm not so sure if that's what we're intended to do. But anyway, uh, hey, uh, I've got a, a friend of mine who's the host of, a, um, of an outdoor show, one of those hunting fishing shows. In fact, he spoke when, uh, at Knott's Berry Farm a couple of years ago. But it's called the, uh, the, the Suzuki Great Outdoors with your host, Steve Barkowski. Now, the depth of our friendship goes basically like this. It's on at 6 o'clock in the morning on Saturday mornings. And uh, never saw it when it was on at 6 o'clock in the morning. But when it was moved to 8 o'clock in the morning, then I watched it a few times. Then they moved it back to 6, so I don't watch it anymore anyway. But, but uh, anyway, the, the reason that, that it reminded me of, uh, of an incident that happened several years ago, and uh, it kind of relates to what we're talking about. You know, there are a million things to worry about. And... Um, he, he loves, obviously, hunting and fishing, and he's from Georgia and uh, lives back in Atlanta, and there's just a, just a million places to go as far as farms to hunt on and things like that. Anyway, a friend of his who played ball for, with him with the Rams was moving back to Atlanta to work with Ron Blue, and uh, their headquarters is back in Atlanta, so he was moving back that way, and Steve thought it would be fun if the three of us went hunting this weekend that he was moving back. And uh, so we went out, we went hunting, and Steve and I knew something that, that George didn't know, and that was that there's just kind of this little southern rule of thumb that you have to go by when you're hunting in, in Atlanta area, Georgia. And basically it works like this. <clears throat> we want hunting. We want pheasant hunting. And we were out in a cornfield. And uh, George had never been hunting before. So our whole purpose was just to make him have a good day. Have fun. That's all that we were there for, being the servants of God that we are. So, so we were there just to serve him to meet his every need. So he was excited, man. He had never done this before. And sure enough, it was midway in the morning, and a pheasant took off out of the cornfield, and he shot it, and he was all excited about it, and it kind of fell down over into this property that there was a fence that said, do not trespass, no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted. And uh, so he just went, man, what should I do? This is the first pheasant that I ever shot. And we just, Steve and I looked at each other and just kind of smiled and said, well, how bad do you want it? I said, well, I want it pretty bad. So we said, well, I don't know. You just got to do what you think is right. Well, see, we remember this little rule of thumb that he didn't know about. So he climbed over the fence and he said, well, I don't see anybody anyway. So he climbed over the fence and he ran to get this bird. And he got about 100 yards on this guy's property and he heard this gunshot go off. Boom! And he froze in his tracks. I mean, he just, he just froze. It's okay. It'll be all right. He's not going to get hurt. <laughs> Don't cry. <laughs> and, and he froze in his tracks. I mean, he just froze, right? And this guy came out of, of the farm, and he had been out in a, in a, on a tractor or something. He came out, and he said, son, what are you doing on my land? He said, well, it's the first time I've ever been hunting, and, and, uh, and I was with some friends. And, and meanwhile, he pointed, and we were hiding. <laughs> <laughs> And there was no friends, there was no one there. But he pointed, and he, and he just turned around, and he just got that look on his face, you know. Uh, and, uh, and the guy said, well, son, what are you doing on my property? He said, well, I, like I said, I was just hunting, and see the pheasant right there, the pheasant, uh, I shot it, but I shot it, and it was flying, and it fell over your fence. And actually, but I shot it on the other side of your fence, and uh, I just wanted to come and get it. And he said, uh, are you from around here, son? And obviously he wasn't, because he didn't talk like that. And uh, he said, well, let me explain something to you. See, in the South, if you shoot something and it falls on someone else's property, it's theirs. 
But of course, we do have a way of being able to determine whether or not you'd like it or not. And so George's like, okay, well, what do you do? So basically, this house works. If you want this bird, I get to kick you as hard as I can in your midsection. And then you get to kick me as hard as you can in my midsection, and whoever wins gets the bird. And since it's my property, I get to go first. Now, George, you know, he played football for a number of years. He took a couple of blows to the head, and he said, well, okay, I really want the bird. <laughs> so the guy winds up and just hauls back and just kicks him in the midsection, and he doubles over, and all I heard was, Ugh! and I just see him kind of going, Ugh! <coughs> and about five minutes later, he stands up, he goes, okay, it's my turn. And that good old boy looked at him and said, Never mind, son. You can have the bird. <laughs> and it was great. Because, you know, it just kind of puts everything into perspective. You know, there are a million things to worry about in life. Literally a million things. In fact, let me show you how common it is for audience participation time. Give it a shot. Take a chance. Hey, I don't know if you've heard, but I'm teaching the college class as well. And at the end of the month, I'm going to decide whether I'm going to go stay there or come back to this. Uh, yeah, 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 it's based on audience participation, and they're just kind of like, they're, they're just standing, they're shouting, they're digging it, and they got more than one Tom there. They got like a lot of them. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't feel the pressure. Don't feel the pressure. That's all right. And, and some people are going, good, somebody else in here. Um, how many of you are worried about something this week? All right. You want to share with us what it is? Oh, that's real good. Like everybody said, well, hey, I'm alive. to still worry because you didn't tell us how to overcome it. You just said it wasn't a good idea. So we still got... Somebody want to share? What are you worried about? Work. What about it? That there is work. <laughs> that there is work. Okay. How many, how many identify with that? Raise your hands. Okay. See? We got a lot of people raising their hands. Okay. Who else? Okay. Oh, I know, I know, because Matt, he's already said three weeks ago, I nailed him. He had this Haight-Ashbury flashback, acid-dropping thing. And, and he said, that's it, I'm never going to participate again. Then he made some crack about me welcoming you to my Mr. Rogers neighborhood with my sweater and stuff. And so now he's going to just jump right back in here again. And so I'm going to be gentle, I'm going to be sensitive, I'm going to be kind. What, what's the problem? What, what, what's the matter? What? You didn't play football, so you don't even have a legitimate excuse. What about your wife? Oh, she is? Okay, health problem, all right? Health problem. How many worry about health problem? I'm worried about you Oh, man, oh, man. Well, you know, the, the, <laughs> the good news is college has no age limitations whatsoever. You can go back to college anytime that you want. Oh, man, that'd be fun. Why don't you stick around? That'd be really scary because see what I can do is I've been trying to tell him. I said, listen, please, believe me, trust me. Start to apply these things now and you won't become like your parents. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's what they're like, that's, <laughs> if nothing else is good enough reason, that's pretty good. All right, what else? Who else is worried about whatever? What are you worried about? Okay, we have health problems. We've got work problems. How about finances? Anybody worried about finances? <laughs> kind of all one and the same, yeah. Not necessarily though, because you could be working and you could be making money and you can still have financial problems. So it's all kind of stuff going on, right? 
There are millions of things. You know, I was thinking, I was, driving, I was driving the other day in the rain. And I just thought, you know, you can worry about a million things. I was driving down the freeway and my low fuel light went on. And a minute ago, I had a half a tank. And the thing lit up, and I knew I had a half a tank. I knew I just went to the gas station the day before, and it said a half a tank, and then the low fuel light goes on. It's like, and so I'm tapping the thing, <laughs> you know, trying to get it to, to register or whatever, and then I'm thinking maybe I get hit by a missile and I lost all of my fuel here, you know. It's like, I mean, what, what could happen? And you start to think, man, you know, when you're driving, there are a million things you can worry about. Your car could break down. You get a flat tire. You could run out of gas. Somebody could run a red light. Somebody could run a stop sign. One of those big truck drivers that can't see you, you know, and they don't really care because they know you can see them. They just kind of drive any way they want to drive. It's like, hey, man, look at this. If they can't see this 40-footer pulling over, then, then hey, officer, it was their problem, right? And they just start cutting in and out. They go anywhere they want to go, and you're just like, I hope they see me. And you blow your little horn. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> you know, and that's all you hear. This is this little box, you know, metal box all crushed up. All you hear somebody in there going, beep, beep, beep. You know? And, and you could, I mean, you could worry about that. I mean, you could worry about everything. And then, the, and then the one that I don't know if you ever think about this, but I always think when I get stuck under an underpass that we're going to have an earthquake. <laughs> Do you ever think that? Oh man, I'll tell you what. It's just like I'm like, pull up, pull up, pull up, please pull up. You know, people in front of you look at you like. What's the matter with this guy? You know, we got a red light. We don't, I can't move anywhere. And I'm thinking, we're going to have an earthquake. I know we're going to have an earthquake. I can just see it now. Splash, flat, done. Put it in the hole in the ground. We're all... Well, see, somebody else th- must think like that. Well, that's good. We're all sick. <laughs> you know, we all got a problem, which is okay. But you see, because there's a million things to worry about. There are millions of things to worry about. And what Jesus did in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, you got your Bibles turned there. In Matthew chapter 6... And if, if uh, you know, while you're turning there, did you get the little flyer, this little blue flyer, Jackie Slater, going to be speaking here in a couple of weeks? Hey, that's a, that would be worth for seven bucks. Man, I mean, gee, you can't beat that. Might want to check into it, find out what's going on, all the information's on there. Anyway, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about worry. And uh, I'm, you know what? There is nothing enjoyable about worry. I don't find anything enjoyable about it. I mean, that's the kind of thing that just eats away at your stomach. I mean, it just eats, eats, eats away at you. And yet so many of us, for some reason or another, would, would just keep preferring to continue to do it. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said that, you know what, let me give you five good reasons why you shouldn't worry. And, uh, and there are arguments that he, that he presented that were very clearly defined as far as why we shouldn't worry. And then what we're going to talk about is the answer that he also gives in this particular passage that deals with how to overcome worry. Right now... All of us are convinced that worry isn't, I mean, it isn't good. It isn't beneficial. There's nothing valuable. There's no value, inherent value to it. But in in Matthew 6, he says in verse 25, he picks it up. And he says this. For this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious or don't worry for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious or worrying, can add a single day to your lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory, in all of his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow was thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious, or don't worry, then say, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all of these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. In this particular, the pa this particular portion of this passage, Jesus lays out five arguments that we went into detail with last week. And uh, just as a review, what he said very simply was, there are five reasons that we shouldn't worry. And then he's going to go on at the end of this passage and give us some ways to overcome it. But number one, it's an obvious one. He says that worry keeps you from enjoying life. So many of us get distracted with the 15% of things that we don't have or the things that we want or the things that we look forward to or the things that we want to change. And it's like anything else in life. Instead of enjoying what we already have and enjoying the blessings that God has already given us, we look to things that we don't have at that point. And we dwell or concentrate on that. And we lose all the enjoyment of life. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? Isn't life more than just material things? Isn't life more than owning more possessions? And how many of us don't have already come to that conclusion? We've got more than we ever thought we'd ever have, and it's, and it's still not enough. And he's saying, man, just take a look at the evidence. You've got everything that you ever thought you wanted, and yet it wasn't enough, and now you want more. Isn't life more than that? Wouldn't it be nice not to have to worry about all of those things that will never happen and begin to dwell and concentrate on things that are in existence and enjoy life? So many marriages are failing today because people dwell on the 5 and the 10% of their spouse that they don't appreciate or they don't enjoy. That certain portion of their character that just drives you absolutely crazy. And it's just like grating fingernails on a, on a chalkboard. You continually dwell on those things instead of looking at the 90% of, of the person that you love. And how sad it is that, you know, basically the enjoyment of that relationship is snatched from us because we're dwelling on something that we wish would change, that we hope would change, and that who knows, maybe it will. But the only thing you have control over is your attitude toward them and enjoy what you have. And so what he's saying is, you know, it keeps you from enjoying life. And he goes through very specifically in verses 24 and 25. And he shares it with us. He also says that it keeps you from realizing your worth. You know, and it's easy in our society to forget our value as human beings. And we need to be constantly reminded by Scripture that God has made us in His image and His likeness. He has given us personality. He has given us choice. He has given us free will. He has made us as He is in many areas. Though we will never be Him, we will never be God, He has given us characteristics that are complementary to God. And it's easy in our society to forget that because human beings are being placed on a level that's below the animals and below everything else that's going on. We are below the planet. We are below the, the environment. We are below animal life. We are below everything else. And we see it in our society. It's easy to forget the value that we are, that how valuable we are, and the value that God has placed upon us in creating us in His image and His likeness. And worry it does exactly that. It forgets who we are in the sight of God. 
And the bottom line that Jesus said is, hey, you know what? Look around. Look at the grass. Look at the fields. Look at the birds. Look at the animal kingdom. Look at everything that God is doing and all that he keeps in order. How much more valuable are you than all of that? And he continues to sustain it. And the wonderful thing is, you know what? Jesus Christ didn't shed one drop of blood for any panda bear or any whale or any tree or any spotted owl or whatever but for you and I. And not that those things aren't precious in his sight because he sustains those as well. But he didn't create the animal kingdom in his image and in his likeness. In fact, he said that we, as human beings, should have dominion over it. You know, so when you look at that, we need to continually keep in mind how valuable we are. The other thing he makes, it's very simple. Hey, you know what? Worrying about things is completely useless. Absolutely useless. We, there's no sense worrying about things that you and I have no control over how, how or why or if it will ever change. And uh, I like uh, what uh, Noel Coward, who was a friend of the actor David Niven, sent him a postcard because David Niven, being the perfectionist kind of person that he is, worried about everything. He was always worried whether the production was going to come off, whether where the script was what it was supposed to be, whether the timing was right. He worried about everything. And he was just always nervous. And if you're a perfectionist, then you know exactly what he was like. And if you live with one, you know what he was like. If it can't go wrong, it will go wrong. And it's never exactly how it's supposed to be. And there's always things that could be done that were different. And so you don't enjoy what's already been done because at the expense of things that aren't done. So anyway, Noel Coward sent his friend, David Niven, the actor, he sent him this postcard. The front of the postcard was a picture of Venus de Milo. And you need to understand who Venus de Milo is in order to appreciate what he wrote. But he writes this. David, you see what will happen to you if you keep biting your nails? <laughs> now, some aren't laughing. You explain it to them, you know. Okay, then, you know. Oh, good. Oh, good. You explain it to Bill. That's good. That's good. But I thought, you know what would be great? Wouldn't it be great to, to, have, to know friends who worry like that about everything and just send them that postcard? Just send them that postcard and send them the same thing. So-and-so, do you see what will happen if you continue biting your nails? And then you can sign it, Jesus, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Wouldn't that be great? Plus, it'd be great for the mailman to see it, you know? <laughs> if nothing else, you know, they read all those postcards. It's, I think <clears throat> it's required by postal law, I think. But anyway, number four, it says he erases the promises of God from our minds. Worry erases the promises of God. There are literally thousands, thousands of promises that God has made concerning his children. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Cast all your burdens upon me, and I'll care for you. I'll take care of you. Romans 8, there's nothing that separates from the love of Christ. Nothing. Literally thousands of promises. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Literally thousands of promises that you can go over, continue to go over, and understand that God has not abandoned us in the wilderness. He hasn't brought us to a certain point and said, now you're on your own. Oh, man, I can't handle it anymore. I took care of three jobs for you already. That's it. Three job limit. That's it. We're moving on here. See, you know, God's not limited. And he doesn't want us to worry about it. 
And number five, it's characteristic of a non-believer. He says, don't worry, because worry is characteristic of a non-believer. Because non-believers are more concerned about everything else. They're concerned about food. They're concerned about clothes. They're concerned about cars. They're concerned about houses. They're concerned about money. Concerned about slots. They're concerned about you know uh, business type card titles. They're concerned about uh, places to park in their company. They're concerned about what office if they get the window office or if they get an interior office and if they're up closer to the president or down further in the hallway. They're concerned about all those things because their value and their assessment of their self worth is found in the society in which we live. As if somehow that makes you more valuable if you have a window seat than an interior wall. So that's what, this not, that's what the world of non-believers is all about. Trying to somehow or another identify how, value, how valuable they are in society. And thereby coming up with some own sense of value themselves. But God is different. He says we're all valuable. And he goes through and says don't worry about it. But some of us are still convinced that it's our responsibility or our spiritual gift to worry. How many of you think that's your spiritual gift? That's okay. Somebody's got to do it. It's my spiritual gift. I, I know it is. I, I, I'm convinced of it. I took that spiritual gift test, and I came out knowing, and I worried about what the results would be, and, uh, and, and, and then it was, it was my gift. In fact, somebody came up to me last week. This is great. This is what <clears throat> they give me a note. It says, don't tell me worrying doesn't work. Everything I worry about never happens. Think about it. <clears throat> then it does work. Okay, here we go. Now the answers. How do you overcome worry? Three things. Look at uh, Matthew 6, verses 33 and 34. This is the key. He gives us very five clear reasons not to worry. But for many of us, we agree that we shouldn't, but now we don't know how to stop it. And so he just lays them out. Three ways to overcome worry. Number one, it has to do with our priorities. It has to do with our priorities. Look what he says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Priorities. Number one. Does somebody, have, I, I, you know what, I left my wallet. Somebody have five bucks? Five dollar bill. <laughs> All right, so I got my wallet. Nothing's in it. Uh, <clears throat> somebody have five dollars? Five dollars. Ten? What? Okay. She give me ten. Ten bucks. What can you do with ten bucks? Go to lunch. By yourself, which I'm sure you do often. <laughs> go, <laughs> go to lunch. What else can you do? You can't do a whole bunch with ten, right? Okay, ride the train one way. <laughs> Tom. Uh, you can't do a whole bunch of this, right? Go to a movie. Yeah. Go to a movie and buy half a candy bar with the change. Um, who has 20 bucks? You have 20 bucks? Oh, good. What can, what can, what can you do with 20 bucks? Lunch for two, yeah, now two, you can get a round-trip ticket on the, on the train. You can do a little bit more with 20 bucks, right? You can do a little bit more with 20 bucks. This is the greatest deal in the world. I love it. <laughs> oh, man, what is going to keep me from going to the college class? They don't have any money, and this is going to work out fine. 20 bucks, okay. Here's the point. I'll try to remember who you were. I'm sure you'll come up to me after. 20 bucks. 
Okay, here it is. 20 bucks. Basically, you look at this and you say, okay, you know what? We have a lot of opportunities. Unlimited opportunities to spend this. A ton of different places. What can you do with 20 bucks? You can spend it a ton of places. But once you spend it, you can only spend it one time. Right? Stop and think about that. And what Jesus is saying as far as priorities are concerned, he's saying, you know what? We only have so much time. We only have so much energy. And once we spend it, it's already spent. And think about that and how it ties into worry. Once you spend it, it's gone. It's valuable. And so what he says is, you know what? We need to get our priorities straight. <clears throat> you want to overcome worry in your life? Then get your priorities straight. And this is what he says. <clears throat> our priorities, number one. He says four things about priorities. Look at it. He says, but, and what he's saying is very clear. But, you know, the word, you know, in fact, I think I'm going to do a series on the big butts of the Bible. What do you think? Would that be the greatest thing in the world? No, really. No, don't take it. Oh, oh, gee. Don't take it out of context. Think about this for a second. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The contrast is there. And, and I think it would be great. I think it would be a great series now, you know, if nothing else, the title's catchy, right? And, uh, but I thought it would be, you know, wouldn't that be a great series to do? And what Jesus is saying is this, you know what? Hey, the world worries about all of these things. He said, but... You're not of the world. You're not a part of the world. You're different from the world. You're contrasted to the world. So he's saying the first thing about our priorities is that it's contrary to the popular opinion or the popular philosophy of the day. That's why I said don't be conformed to this world, the Apostle Paul writes, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't get caught up in all the things that the world is caught up into. And that's what he's saying. And that's why he said, look, here's what the world's interested in. The world's interested in food, in clothing, in money, in materialism. And you shouldn't be. Why are you worrying? Because you're caught up in the philosophy of everybody around you. You're getting hung up in all of it. He's saying our priority system begins with understanding that we are contrasted to the world that we live in. We're to be different. We're not to have the same value system. We're not to have the same desires. We're not to have the same wants. What is this world interested in? Chuck Colson in his book, Loving God, you know, Jesus said this, the greatest commandment was that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our pr greatest priority as people of God is to love God with all of our heart. He comes first before anything else. He comes first before all of our desires materially. He comes first before all of our desires financially. He comes first before all of our own pleasures. We have to continually seek His wisdom and counsel. Lord, do I really need this job? Do I really need the extra money? What am I going to do with it? What am I, how, how should I spend it? Should I buy things for myself? What should I be doing? We have to be constantly communicating and talking to Him and seeking His wisdom about the things of this world, how we should be using it to bring Him glory and honor. Chuck Colson said, boy, you know what the biggest problem in the world that we live in is that all we are is we're just like everybody else and we're caught up with ourselves. Seeking God isn't our greatest priority. Uh, 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 seeking His will isn't our greatest priority. Living obedience to God isn't our greatest priority. Our greatest priority is just like everybody else in the world and that is to please ourselves. And this is what he writes in Loving God. He says, for a generation, Western society has been obsessed with the search for self. 
We have turned the age-old philosophical question about the meaning and purpose of life into a modern-day growth industry. This is like Heinz. There are 57 varieties and then some. Biofeedback, yoga, creative consciousness, est, est awareness workshops, TA, each fad with an avid following until something new comes along. We Buzzwords like self-fulfillment, self-improvement, self-enrichment, self-acknowledgement, self-enhancement, self-educated, self-everything, and on and on it goes. And he says that popular literature rides the wave with best-selling titles that guarantee success with everything from making money to firming flabby thighs. He says this not-so-magnificent obsession to, quote, find ourselves has spawned a whole set of counterfeit values. And we worship fame, success, materialism, and celebrity. We, quote, live for success as we, quote, look out for number one, and we don't mind, quote, winning through intimidation. We become just like the world that we live in. He says, however, the self-conscious world is in desperate straits. Each new promise leads only to frustrating paradox. The 1970s self-fulfillment fads led to self-absorption and isolation, rather than the fuller, liberated lives that they predicted. The technology created to lead humanity to this new promised land may instead obliterate us and our planet in a giant mushroom cloud. Three decades of seemingly limitless affluence have succeeded only in sucking our culture dry, leaving it spiritually empty and economically weakened. Our world is filled with self-absorbed, frightened, hollow people. In the midst of all of this, we have the church, those who follow Christ. And for the church, this ought to be an hour of great opportunity. However, the church alone can provide... The church alone can provide a moral vision to a wandering people. The church alone can step into the vacuum and demonstrate that there is a sovereign living God who is the source of all truth. But the church is in almost as as deep trouble as the culture. For the church is bought into the same value system. Fame, success, materialism, celebrity. We watch the leading, lead, the leading churches and the leading Christians for our cues. We want to emulate the best-known preachers with the biggest sanctuaries and the grandest edifices. And the preoccupation of these values has perverted the church's message. When one assistant to one renowned media pastor was asked his man's success, he replied without hesitation, we give the people what they want. He said, this heresy is the root of the most dangerous message preached today, and that's the what's-in-it-for-me gospel. How does that tie in? Very simple. What are you worrying about? Are you worrying about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you worried about seeking something that will promote your own kingdom? Something that will enhance your own stature in the community? Something that will benefit you in some way, shape, or form? And so what he's saying is we have to get our priorities straight, and it begins with understanding that our priorities as God's people are going to be contrary to the culture in which we live. We have to have something to offer people that are trying in every way that they can to find a cure for worry. And you know what Jesus says? You want to overcome worry? Get your priorities straight. So it begins with it being contrary to the popular opinion of the day. And it, and it also, he says, but seek. It's continuous in nature. You and I never will have a firm grasp on God's will for our lives as we continually seek his will day to day in every decision that we make. There is a point in time where we come to know God through Jesus Christ and we become a child of God. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. But from that moment on, our relationship with God should be a daily relationship where we continually seek the will of God, the word of God, and be obedience to his word on on a daily basis in every decision that we make in life. From if you're single to who you're dating, from if you're married, how to, how to make your relationship better in your marriage, and if you're in business, on how to treat your employees and how to treat your customers and how to pay your bills on time and all the things that we need to do on a daily basis. We should be constantly seeking the will of God. 
Lord, what should I do next? I want to do what's pleasing to you. It's continuous in nature. You want to know why we're worried? Because we don't have a continuous relationship. Many of us have come to a point where we've trusted Christ, we've become a child of God. The, the Bible says we're clearly in God's kingdom, that we'll spend eternity with Him, and then we stick Him in a corner somewhere and try to live this life excluding Him. I can handle this business problem. I can handle this relationship problem. But see, that's exactly Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 warns against. Don't trust or lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Seek His word. Seek His will. And then apply it. See, what are we worried about? We're trying to handle things ourselves. And he says we can't do it. So it's continuous in nature. And he also says this, that it concerns the kingdom of God. John 3, 1 through 5 tells us that the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a domain. It's authority. It's placing yourself continually under the authority of God and then being obedient to him. You know what? I'll guarantee you this. If you're living in obedience to God, it's going to eliminate a lot of things you worry about. A lot of things. You won't be worrying about whether you're going to get caught. You're not going to worry about whether it's right or wrong. You're not going to worry about the effects or the consequences. You're not going to worry about any of that stuff. You know why? Because you're living a life of obedience. And if you're being obedient to God, you have nothing to worry about. See, it begins with our priority system. Are you continually seeking the will of God for your life and walking in obedience? You don't have anything to worry about. You don't have anything to be stressed out about because you know that God's in control. And the last thing he says is this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The righteousness of God. You know who it is? Jesus Christ. You focus on Jesus. The Bible says very clearly, you look at Jesus. His life is an example for us to live. He didn't worry about anything. He wasn't stressed out about anything at all. Why? Because he knew his father was in control. He knew that he was sovereign. He knew that he had a plan. He knew that he had a purpose. He knew that he had a mission. And he was walking in obedience. And when he said in the garden, Father, not my will be done, but yours. What he did, please God. You see, we need to center and focus on Jesus Christ. The second thing that he talks about as far as how to overcome worry involves, very simply, <clears throat> our plans. Look what he says. Verse 33 says, But seek first his kingdom. Don't be like the rest of the world you live in. Don't get hung up on all the things that the world loves. Don't get caught up in all of that system. But seek first. Continually seek the will of God for your life. Continually be in obedience to him. His kingdom and his righteousness. Continue to look to Jesus as an example of how we're to live. Continue to look and see what Jesus had to say, his words and his life. And he goes, and his righteousness. And you know what? And all the rest of these things will be added unto you. They'll take care of themselves. You know, it's one of the things that, that, that I'm learning as, as I grow older in life and never really appreciated until recently. <clears throat> but when I'm dealing with kids, particularly now, and, uh, and our baseball season started, so, hey, stay tuned for more illustration. But, you know, we get this baseball season that just started, and one of the most fascinating things about it is that I actually can, can offer something that I never understood before, and that is this. Play to the best of your ability. Do the best job that you can with the gifts that God has given you. Hustle. Be disciplined. Apply yourself. 
And you know what? Victories take care of themselves. It's a byproduct. It's not the goal. The goal is to be your best. The goal is to do the best. The goal is to listen and to learn and apply the things that you're taught. That's the goal. The rest of the stuff takes care of itself. See, and isn't that fascinating if, if, if we really believed that and understood that? See, in business, the goal is not to make money. The goal is to be the best at whatever it is that you sell or that you do or that you make. To do a good job for your customer. To be honest. To be ethical. To provide for them what they wanted to buy and provide that service and make sure you don't shortchange them. To give them what they paid for. And sometimes even more. And you know what happens? All the rest of it falls into place. Now, you may not make 15% net. Maybe you only net five. Maybe you'll net three. Maybe you'll be lucky to break even. But you know what? You'll never have anything to worry about before God. See, it's not based on numbers. It's not based on percentages. It's based on doing what's right before God. You know, if we understood that and we taught our kids that, what a different world we'd have in another 10 or 15 or 20 years. See, we've got, a, we've got a generation of kids that have no values because they've been taught that the bottom line is to make money. Not to be honest, not to be ethical, not to work hard, not to be disciplined, but to make the most amount of money with the least amount of effort. That's the society that we find ourselves in today. Not to do the best. And the Bible so clearly teaches. Colossians 3 says, hey, you know what? Anything you do, work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord, for it's the Lord God whom you serve. Our priority system's all messed up. And he says, our plans, look, therefore, do not be anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We're worrying about tomorrow. How many things you worry about are things about tomorrow? Man, I sure hope my company's in business another three years, man, so I get vested in the pension program. Oh, man, I sure hope that, you know, that, that, that Social Security somehow is still in existence 40 years from now. Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, we're worried about things tomorrow, like tomorrow. All this stuff is tomorrow. I don't have any control over tomorrow. You don't have any control over tomorrow. We live in obedience today. Listen to me. You live in obedience today. Tomorrow takes care of itself. If you're a good steward of what God has blessed you with today, tomorrow takes care of itself. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about how you're going to pay for this 15 years from now, or this 20 years from now, or this whatever. Be a steward today, and tomorrow takes care of itself. Does that mean maybe put away for tomorrow? Certainly, but that's being in obedience today. This is what one man writes. He writes this, Robert Burdett. He says, there are two days of the week about which I never worry. Two carefree days kept sacredly free from fear and apprehension. The one day I don't worry about is yesterday, and the other day is tomorrow. It isn't the experience of today that drives men mad. It's the events of yesterday and the dread of what tomorrow may disclose. Isn't that the truth? I'll tell you what, you apply this and nothing else or you'll overcome worry. Don't you ever worry about yesterday. You confess your sin before God and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That takes care of yesterday. Don't you ever worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. All that God wants you to do and me is be obedient today. He'll take care of tomorrow. And you know what? 
And if you're lucky and you know the Lord, you may not have to worry about tomorrow anyway. He may check you out today. And some of you are like close right now, I can tell. You're like... To get one of those little defibrillators, we'll hand them out when you walk in, you know. And oh, good, oh, good. Good to see you back. And then the last thing is this. I don't think any, any, any study, any, any top, topic of worry would be appropriate without talking about prayer. In fact, if you get your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Memorize these two verses. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We'll close on this. Although I did make this observation. I made this observation from last week and, and this week between you guys and the college group. See, if the college group doesn't pay attention... That's because they're thinking about all the other things that they have to do. When you don't pay attention, it's because most of you are, are catching up on your rest. <laughs> yeah, I see. It's like... Just these little observations that keep me going in life. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Let's close on this. Don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a great verse. What a great passage and verses. You want to memorize something? Some of you memorize in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Memorize this, put it all together. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, when you get shook up and you're worried about something, you're stressed out about something, but in everything that comes up, through prayer and supplication, asking of God, with thanksgiving, know that He cares enough to let you do it, and He cares enough to do something about it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let that request be made known to God. And you know what He says? In the peace of God, what surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word literally is a military term, guard your heart and your mind. It's like he, in, he, he, he circles the, the wagon around your life. He circles the wagons, and he protects you, and he guards you, and he keeps you safe in the midst of those wagons. And he says, hey, you stay there, and I'll do all the fighting for you. You stay there, and I'll take care of you. What a great truth. Many of you have heard the story, but it fits so appropriately, I, I couldn't pass it up, about the, the guy who uh, had, a, had a knack, for some reason, of walking across Niagara Falls on a high wire. And he'd go up, and he'd walk back, and he'd walk the other way. He'd go back and forth, and the crowd would go crazy, and they would love it, you know. And at first, he'd do it with the big pole, and then he'd do it without the pole. And then he'd do it pushing a wheelbarrow. And he'd go over and he'd push the wheelbarrow and then he'd push the wheelbarrow back and everybody would be all excited and they're all, you know, this is the greatest thing in the world. And there was a little boy who was seven years old. He was watching all of this and he just said, Mister, I just want to tell you, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen anybody do. He goes, man, that is great. He goes, and, the, and the guy said, you really think so? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, well, you think I could do it again? He goes, oh, yeah, I think you could do it again, no question about it. He goes, really? Hmm. And the little boy said, yeah, man, I, I really think so. He goes, you think I could push that wheelbarrow back again? He goes, oh, yeah, without any doubt. He said, well, you know what, little boy? 
how'd you like to help me in my act? He goes, oh, that'd be great, sir. What do you want me to do? He said, I want you to get in the wheelbarrow. And the boy went, I don't think so. <laughs> and he said, but I thought you trusted me. I thought you said I could do it. And he said, I do. He said, then you know what? If you really do, you'll get in the wheelbarrow. You know what? And so many of us have the lip service to God. Oh, God, I trust you. Oh, yeah, I know you can do it. Oh, you're all powerful. You're all loving. You're all everything. I know that. But you know what? He says, okay, get in the wheelbarrow. Let's go for a ride. And we're all, I don't think so. I think I'll handle this one on my own. See, and until you and I can get to the point where we are willing to get in the wheelbarrow, then we haven't really applied Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Get in the wheelbarrow. Don't lean on your own understanding of all the different ways and worry about how many different ways you're going to fall out of it. Don't even worry about that. Don't even think about that. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, unreservedly. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He'll make your path straight. That's the application. You want to overcome worry? Just trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time. Thank you again for the clarity of your word, for how real it is, how relevant it is. Lord, you know our worries, you know our hearts, you know all the things that we struggle with and how often we want to just turn them over to you, but yet we keep grabbing them back from you. God, help us to apply the words of our Lord. Help us to realize that our greatest need is a priority system that keeps you first in our life. The things that we find most important are the things that we spend the most time doing. God, help us to see that if you're really the most important part of our life, then we need to spend more time with you. We need to spend more time in your word. We need to spend more time praying and seeking your will. Then we need to spend more time making application, even though sometimes we don't understand it, but how clear it is in your word, we just need to apply it. Lord, we just thank you that your promise is very clear that if we do these things, that you'll make our path straight, that you'll smooth out the obstacles in our life, that you will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ, that there's nothing to be anxious for, but in everything that we should be in prayer and, and asking of you. You tell us to ask and we'll find it to seek, to knock, and it'll be given to us. God, help us also to realize that uh, today is the only day that we're responsible to you to live a life of obedience, knowing that Jesus paid the price by shedding his blood for all of the sin of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that he's taking care of our past, our present, and our future. And you tell us not to even think about tomorrow, for tomorrow may, is a presumption on our part. We may not even have a responsibility tomorrow. Today may be the day that you call us home. God, we just thank you for that, and we just pray that we can live in the present being obedient to your word, continually seeking you. And we just thank you that you will smooth out our paths. In Christ's name, amen.